Good morning, everyone. All right, before we get going, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have given us these words, these commandments. You've given us them to us. You've given them to us for us to live by them, to be guided by them, to live lives of love to you and neighbour. Amen. We all need rules to live by. Rules bring order to our lives, even the more ordinary rules. Knock on doors before you open them. Clean up after yourself. Put down the toilet seat. This is one I don't do. (laughs) Rules make life work. You might have heard of a guy called Jordan Peterson. He's become quite a controversial figure. He's a clinical psychologist and he's written a book called 12 Rules for Life, an Antidote to Chaos. And in the book, um, he's got some more straightforward rules. Uh, Stand up straight with your shoulders back. That's one of the rules. Um, Compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not who someone else is today. That's another rule. And he's got a couple of more unexpected rules. Uh, Do not bother children when they're skateboarding. Um, And pat a cat when you encounter one on the street. I don't know what they're about. I haven't read the book. Um, You might have also heard of Marie Kondo. Has anyone heard of her? She's, uh, She's got a Netflix show called Tidying Up. And because of her show, uh, clothing bins around Sydney have been overflowing. Um, The appeal of her show is that it provides one rule that promises to bring order to the mess of people's homes. So the rule is, keep all the things that speak to your heart and then take the plunge and discard all the rest. So he's hoping that people's pets still speak to their heart. (laughs) This morning we find ourselves at one of the most famous passages in the scriptures, the Ten Commandments. After having escaped Egypt, slavery, oppressive slavery in Egypt by the hand of God, the Israelites, you might remember from last week, have found themselves at the foot of a mountain, Mount Sinai. And it would have been an awesome moment. There was thunder, there was lightning, there was land trembling. And last week in chapter 19 of Exodus... God had a word for his rescued people. God had a word for the Israelites. God said, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, God says to Israel, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That was all last week. This week is all about the the rules, the the principles that God gave to his people. There were were rules for their life together. And if they keep these rules, they'll stand out. That is what sort of holy means. And they'll be representatives of God in the world. That's sort of what it means, or part of what it means to be a priest, a priesthood of believers. So the way I'm going to go this morning is this. I'm going to make the point that the commandments are about God and others. That's the first point. They're ultimately about love. And thirdly, for us, the commandments are a springboard to love. So it would be fantastic if you had the passage open. I think it was page 64. Page 64. Verse 1. And God spoke all these words and he started off with, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. 
Now, it would be so easy for us to skim over this verse, but I think it's really important. God here is identifying himself for the people of Israel. This is who he is, and they can't forget this. So who ultimately is Israel's God? He is the one who brought them out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So that means when Israel is is going through the desert and they wonder whether God is good towards them, they're to remember his identity. When they're tempted to follow other gods and give themselves to idols, they're to remember what he said here. God, Israel's God, is the one who brought them out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He is always and will always be God the rescuer, God the liberator. He always works for their good and he loves his people. God here is drawing a line in the sand. This is who I am. And just quickly for us, if we're honest, we go through seasons of life where we question the goodness of God towards us wondering whether he actually is holding us back maybe or whether um, we're tempted to think we'd actually do better without him. For us, God isn't the God, only the God who brought Israel out of Egypt. He is the God who rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. God is the God who liberates. We've been set free from slavery to sin to the freedom in the sun. God is the liberator. He works for our good. No matter how we feel or what we think, he loves us. That's verse two. Let's move on. The commandments are about God and the first four commandments have God in, in, sort of in focus. Verse three, you shall have no other gods before me. That is, don't worship the gods of the nations around you. I am the Lord your God. Verse 4, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. That is, don't make an image of God. Don't try to box the transcendent, all-powerful, invisible God into an image. Don't try to make him a man-made thing. It just won't work. God's infinitely bigger than than that, a man-made thing. Verse 7, You shall not misuse the name of the Lord. Don't drag his name through the mud. Don't speak falsely about him. Don't make promises, false promises by his name. Verse 8, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. We're to sort of pattern our weeks on God's week. In six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. The first four commands all share this common focus. Israel is to be holy, is to be a priest sort of, um, a, a nation, a priesthood nation, by means of their exclusive focus on the God who rescued them. In 2017, the British government uh, conducted a survey which asked um, people, no matter what their beliefs, what they thought about the Ten Commandments. Uh, the question was, which of the Ten Commandments do you believe are the most important principles to live by? What this survey found was that people were really keen on the last six commandments, which don't have their focus so much on God, but they didn't know the first four commandments, which have their focus on God. And I think that is reflective of the society we live in. I reckon most of the people around us would agree with the last six, which we're about to go over in a moment, 
they'd sort of like they'd say that yeah it'd be good to live that way but they they wouldn't understand the importance of the first four i've got a hypothetical situation to put before you imagine going to the doctors You've been experiencing a bit of breathlessness of late, and so you were asked to have an ECG by the doctor, one of those uh, treadmill stress tests with um, electrodes put on your chest, and the doctor has results. You enter the, the GP room, and she doesn't beat around the bush. She says, your heart isn't in good shape. You've got two coronary arteries, coronary arteries that are nearly 100% blocked. She just says it. You're silent. But you think to yourself, I feel fine. What's a bit of breathlessness going to do? Now imagine you hear this news and you don't do anything about it. Imagine convincing yourself that the heart isn't all that important. I mean, this would never work. You'd never do this because we know how important the heart is. For Israel, the God of life, the liberator, the God who had rescued them was to be at the centre of their life. I mean, literally, we're going to look at the tabernacle in a few weeks, which was placed in the centre of their communal life. For Israel, the God was, our God was to be at the centre. He was the beating heart of their national life. We live in a society that ignores the heart in general. They pay no attention to God, the God from which life flows. Now, that doesn't work with these commandments. First and foremost, the first four commandments are all about God. But let's move on. The commandments are about God, but they're also about others. Verse 12, honour your father and your mother so that you live long in the land the Lord your God has given you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbour. You shall not covet. So, like I said, these don't mainly have God in their view. They've got other people in their view. But there's a really strong connection between the two. I remember the first time I understood the connection here. I was sitting in a scripture class in year seven. I'd, I'd recently become a Christian. I was sitting on the side for most of these classes. And I'd just watch on as the scripture teacher, who was a local um, uh, minister, he would treat the more raucous kids in, in, in the class, there were quite a few, with more patient than the general teacher. Um, these, these kids, I can still remember them, they'd be the ones who'd always be thrown out of the class at the first sign of their misbehaviour. It always happened. But this scripture teacher treated them with more patience. Sometimes they did throw them out. But they treated them with more patience and more, more respect than, the, um, than, than most teachers did. And I remember thinking, that's strange. Why is this teacher treating them with such respect? And about a year later, I think it was about a year later, at the Christian group at school, it was a small Christian group, a lunchtime group, this same teacher gave a talk from 1 John 4, from these verses, uh, we love God because he first loved us. And something clicked. It's the love of God that compels us in life. He loved the students because God loved him first. There's a connection here. Putting God at the centre of your life will express itself in the way we treat those around us. Putting God at the centre of our life 
will express itself in the way we treat others around us. The first, uh, the commandments five to ten are all, in sort of minimalist form, are all expressions of love. Which leads me to my second point. The commandments are ultimately about love. Okay. The greatest ever interpreter of the law told us this. Well, he answered someone when he, he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your mind and all your soul. That's the first four commandments. But there's some, a second like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Summing up the last six. With those words, Jesus summed up all the laws and the commandments. Paul does too. In Romans 13, love one another for whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. And again in Galatians 5 in the passage that was read, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love is to be the beating heart of the law, love of God and love of others. But the thing about love is that love is never minimalist. It's sort of easy to read the Ten Commandments and think, okay, do not murder, I can sort of tick that one off. Do not commit adultery, or I can tick that off. Do not steal, do not, I think I can tick that off. It's easy, or it's, 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 it's easy to think that, yep, I've done, it. I've done sort of most of those. But if love is the beating heart of the law, then it's not about doing the minimal requirements. I've got another story about Jesus. Uh, in Luke chapter 10, an expert of the law came up to Jesus and asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus asked him a question. What's written in the law? How do you read it? The expert in the law answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But if you remember this in Luke 10, the expert in the law had a problem. He was trying to keep the law minimally. So he asked, who is my neighbor? He wanted the word neighbor to be sort of restricted so he could tick off the people he had to love. But then Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. And if you know it, it's all about opening up the definition of neighbor. Your neighbor is anyone who is in need. If love is at the beating heart of the law, then it's never minimal. So, how should we then think about applying the Ten Commandments to our lives? And my third point, for us, the Ten Commandments are a springboard to love. The Ten Commandments are a springboard to love. Now, before I... um, more specifically apply a few of the commandments to our lives or get us thinking about how we might do that. I want to be clear how um, hearing the Ten Commandments is different for us as Christians than it was for the ancient Israelites. So that's, that's important to, to see. Israel was under the Old Covenant. So under the Old Covenant, covenant what bound them together was the law. Their existence as God's people depended on them keeping the law. But as the history of ancient Israel shows, instead of leading them into obedience, the law actually ended up showing that their hearts were 
rebellious, that they were disobedient. The Israelites couldn't keep the law. They had a problem with their hearts. But then one appeared who didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. (coughs) Jesus lived the perfect life of love, the life that the law points to. This is the type of life that the someone who keeps the law should live. And Jesus lived it and he fulfilled the law. And for anyone who has faith in Jesus, no matter how wayward our hearts, they receive the same spirit that led Jesus to live a life of love. Okay? So for us in the new covenant, we don't have the law that binds us together. That's not what binds us together. The spirit binds us together. This is sort of what Paul was saying in Galatians 5. And the thing is, the law revealed wayward hearts. The Spirit gives life to dead hearts. So this is where we're at. So, even though we're not obliged to keep the Ten Commandments in the same way Israel were, we're not under law, but under grace, as Paul says, we are led by the Spirit. And the Spirit guides us to fulfill the deepest intention of the law. That is, the Spirit guides us to live to the maximum lives of love of God and love of neighbor. But this doesn't mean we can disregard the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are a really good guide to what the life of love looks like. The Ten Commandments are a really good guide to what the life of love looks like. Like I said, they're a springboard to love. How so? I want to go through three of the commands to sort of help you see how they are a really good guide to love. I could do them for each one, but you'll be glad to know I'm not going to. I'll do them for three. So, you shall not covet. You shall not covet. The law teaches that part of loving our neighbor is not coveting. Have you ever thought of that? Part of love is not coveting. So if there's a blind spot in our culture, it's this. Our world is in large part run on covetousness. The advertising industry, its whole goal is to make us jealously desire what we don't have or what other people have. And continuously desiring what we don't have is wrecking us as people. It fills us with frustration, envy, insecurity. It's wrecking our society. It's wrecking our world. We can't let anything, certainly not sort of such trivial, trivial things as forests, animals, or the atmosphere, get in the way of our relentless desire to acquire things. How we would stand out if we became a community that started to refuse to covet? If we became people who stopped needing to buy as much stuff, who lived more simply. This is what it looks like to fulfill the law to its maximum. The commandment not to covet, if we let it, actually uncovers a whole dimension of godliness and love that it's so easy to be blind to in our world. Do not covet. Second, Do not commit adultery. So this one's not complicated. But what it does is remind us that as Christians, having sex with someone who is is married to someone else or with someone who's not your spouse 
is not love, no matter how you feel about it. And how reluctant we are in our culture to hear this. We convince ourselves that sexual attraction is love and that love must indulge it. But the command not to commit adultery guards a boundary preventing us from deceiving ourselves that having sex with someone we're not married to could ever be a right expression of love. So the commandment applies to us. Do not commit adultery. And thirdly, remember the seventh day by keeping it holy. Uh, So in a culture where the first words we often say when we're asked, how are you, are either tired or busy, which is what I say, or I say at least tired, at least in the last little while. Um, The idea of a rest day is really important. Sabbath is more than a decision just to not undertake paid employment on a Sunday. Sabbath, and it doesn't have to be a Sunday, Sabbath is conscientiously and intentionally setting aside time to truly rest. It might be not touching emails, not running errands, not catching up around the house. Maybe it's time of social media. Sabbath instead should be a day to enjoy the gifts of God that he's given us, whatever they may be, family, uh, good bread, good coffees is what speaks to me. It might be spending some slow time in prayer. It might be reading a scripture passage. It might be catching up with a friend, a good friend going for a walk. Why? Why is Sabbath important to loving our neighbour? Well, first, or for loving God, first, it's, it's literally a part of godliness. It's being like God, as the passage said, for God rested on the seventh day. It's a part of godliness. But it's a part of loving our neighbour because we can't focus on our friends, family and colleagues if we don't give them time. It's hard to love others if we're mostly always exhausted. And it's hard to love if we don't spend time in worship and spiritual refreshment. So, brothers and sisters, those who put their trust in Jesus are not under law, but under grace. Jesus has done what the law could never do. He's dealt with sin. The law couldn't do that. And he's freed us from the law's judgment. So at one level, when we read the law, we're reminded that we're sinners. And that's sort of the point. We turn to Christ and remember that he died in our place. But as well as that, the law is a gift of wisdom, or as I put it, a springboard to love. The commandments, if we sort of think about them, help us discern the path of godliness and love. They're a guide for life. They're sort of rules to live by. A guide to live wise and godly lives to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have done for us what the law could never do. That you sent your son to die in our place. To free us from sin. To free our hearts from sin. Father, we thank you for sending us and giving us your Holy Spirit so that we can fulfill the law by the Spirit's help, that we can love you and love our neighbour. Father, please help us do this. Help us each day to let you guide us 
Help us think about how we might apply these commandments. Help us live lives of love so that others may see how loving and kind and merciful and gracious you are. Amen.